Hey, this is the national treasure and the world's champion, Nick Aldis, and you're listening to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Welcome everyone to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. My name's Ross McLeod and it's an absolute privilege today to be joined by the four-time world champion, world champion in global force wrestling, world champion in impact wrestling, two-time and current champion in the National Wrestling Alliance. He is Nick Aldis. Nick, how are you? I'm good, Ross. Thanks for having me. No, whatever. Before we begin, Nick, where can we find you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? Uh, Twitter and Facebook are both at Real Nick Aldis, and then Instagram is at Nick Aldis. I'm verified on Twitter, so just uh, look for the blue check, and then um, yeah, it's uh, and then anything to do with the NWA is all very simple. It's all just at NWA. Brilliant, and we are not verified on Twitter, but we are at Suplex Retweet on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also find us on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and all good Android podcasting sites for our massive back catalogue interviews like the one with Nick here, Mike Quackenbush, Al Snow, The Miz, Seth Rollins, and much, much more. So, before we begin, Nick, and talking about NWA's Power Hour, we start every interview with why are you passionate about pro wrestling, and where did that passion come from? I think it was... You know, for me, I always wanted, uh, I always had sort of dreams and aspirations of being a professional athlete, you know, of some sort. Like, I think like most kids growing up in England, you sort of, you, you think about football and you want to, you know, score the winning goal in the FA Cup final and all that kind of thing. You, you know, visualize those moments and stuff like that. And then as I got older, you know, but I, I also always thought of myself in entertainment, you know, I always sort of envisioned being on stage or, you know, acting and things like that and then when i got exposed to pro wrestling certainly i mean obviously early on i just saw it and just thought they were cool i thought brett the hitman heart was like a superhero to me you know and but um when i got a little older and started kind of formulating you know a personality and who i wanted to be i suppose that was when i realized that wrestling was a perfect sort of combination of all of those things you could be an athlete an entertainer a showman you know you could be all of those things wrapped up into one Brilliant. And you mentioned scoring the winner in the FA Cup final. Who did you support growing up and who did you dream about scoring that winner for? I was a Man United fan. Yeah. I just, when I was a kid, I was, I just, it was, it wasn't, you know, I didn't have any ties to the club, didn't have any, wasn't any sort of particular reason, you know, to do with family or anything. I mean, you know, my, my local team would have been Norwich. And I was, I was always a Norwich fan and I was a ball boy there a few times and I even been at trials for the, the youth academy when I was 15. But for me, when I was a kid, I just, Ryan Giggs was my hero. Like, I just thought he was the coolest guy and it was, you know, and he was just such a star that, you know, and girls liked him and he was, you know, he was the one scoring all the spectacular goals and the free kicks and all that sort of thing. And because of that, then I became a Man United fan and then it was like, you know, I mean, that Man United team in the early 90s or mid 90s, like, you know, Giggs and Cantona and, oh, and Roy Keane, you know, just they, like they were just back then I could I could name every every player. They just just said. And I think I, and I think that not that it was a big deal to me then, but I think back to it now is it like they were mostly English or British players, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it, like not that you know not that that really made any difference to me when I was a kid but I think when I thought later on when you started to see just how much money started to get into football and how sort of co-opted it became by these sort of billionaires and stuff it was something kind of cool about the idea that Man United had really they really had cultivated their own team from their youth academy right up to you know top professionals and they would like dominating with it which I thought was really cool yeah yeah it's something to a lot like the NXT system now it's a lot of homegrown guys going on to the main roster so you're here to talk about obviously you're the champion of the NWA 
NWA's Power Hour is the new new available TV series. What can we expect from NWA's Power Hour? What makes it different from the likes of All Elite's Dynamite that recently debuted and the three weekly shows that WWE provide? It's going to be so different. Like, and that's you know part of what we're going for. And we're not being different for the sake of different. We're being different because we think that there's an audience out there that missed that type of product. And basically, it's going to be very unapologetic pro wrestling show with you know it's it's going to feel very nostalgic to people that remember that show or have gone back and watched the classic sort of mid-atlantic and georgia sort of shows the tbs shows the you know anyone anyone who's seen a rick flair promo you know his classic promos or, or dusty's classic promos like his hard times promos and stuff like that they're going to immediately be transformed and, and taken back to that you know they're going to be that's that's the feel it's very for lack of a better term ironically it's raw you know, it's there's we've stripped down, you know, we've stripped down the bells and whistles, not in a way that where it looks cheap and, and nasty, it, in a way that makes it really about the guy and the girl, you know, like it, it really makes it about the personalities. So it's like you walk out, there's a podium, you know, Dave Marquez or Joe Galley or Jim Cornette. They say something, they put a microphone in front of you and you go like and you talk down the lens. And if you could, you know, and it's you're, it's in your face and, and the conflicts are happening right there and then. And it's very organic and real and raw. And it's um, it has more of that unpredictability to it. And uh, it's going to I think I think you're going to I've seen a rough cut of episode one. I think it just it feels different to anything else. I think it's going to fly by. Like, I think by the time it finishes, you're going to go. God, that was that was quick you know and and i and i think in the best possible way like it's a shop window you know like it, this is is this is a, a a bunch of talent who who can really talk and can really deliver you know in every facet like being a great performer in this business to me is about your look and about how well you can talk and how well you can wrestle in equal measure i don't think that it's you know i think that so much of the business now is is predicated on like well, is eighty percent about how how good a match you can have in the ring, and I don't believe that. I believe that it's you know to be, I believe that there are guys who are stronger in that area than they are talkers, but it doesn't. But you know, I think that if there's someone who's stronger on the microphone than they are in the ring, I don't think that should you know disqualify them from being a performer in this business. And I think that that's kind of the mentality that we're that we're sort of pushing back against, in that like. I don't believe that. I don't. I think that there's a great deal of audience out there that that are that are kind of they're cool with ma matches that go out there and do inc incredible feats of athleticism. You know, I just think that there is an audience out there that goes, okay, we're cool with that. We just don't want a whole show of that. Like I miss guys being able to talk in a way that makes people go, oh, damn, you know, like wow, like, and not not where it's just sort of lip service just to get to another 20 minute match full of, you know, intricate moves and sequences and, you know, and, and things that aren't take you out of the moment a little bit, you know, like we're trying to create moments. We're trying to create real emotion. Like in other words, we're, we're you know, we, we, there's all these phrases that I try to avoid like back to basics and stuff, because then people just think that it's mean, it's going to mean like, Oh, just like boring wrestling and like, a headlock you know and a body slam and stuff and that's not that's not what i'm talking about when i talk about back to basics i mean like stripping down all the unnecessary fluff and reminding people of what they get what what 
you know, what speaks to them about wrestling as opposed to another sport or, you know, or another form of entertainment, which is like the raw sort of emotion of it and the unapologetic sort of outrageousness of it. Like you're going to see this stuff happen right in front of your face and you're going to know that there was no script and there was no, you know, this wasn't a big sort of grand plan and it wasn't it with it. This is, you know, guys talking, speaking from the heart and going out and wrestling in a way that, you know, that appeals more to someone who wants to see a fight and wants to see, you know, something entertaining and, and easy to digest. Mm-hmm. So obviously being in Scotland, we have a massive ICW fan base that followed the podcast for them tuning in. Obviously they can see ICW alumni such as James Storm, Cole Cabana, Thomas Lattimore. It'll obviously bring some talents we're not maybe familiar with to our screens. Who is someone on the NWA roster that you think we should be looking out for? Someone who's, when they get this audience, is going to take the ball and run with it? Ricky Starks, 100%. I went to bat for him as soon as I saw his vignettes. This this kid in New Orleans, he's just, he's got, he looks like a star. Like he's just, he's got, he's got this real unique look he's he's good looking guy good physique can work his ass off and just has that thing you can't teach in sense of like he commits to his like he's he's found a character and a style and stuff that just is so perfect for who he is as a human being and he's like and he put together these vignettes and i remember the first i saw him on twitter someone someone shared it and i saw it and i just immediately saw it like he put this sort of cool like 80s style like vignette together where and it was just a totally like <laughs> it was it was just so self-promotional in like the most obnoxious way but it but so well done and so stylish and cool and just i was just like that guy's a star and i just immediately sent it to Dave Lagana and Billy Corgan and said, let's get this guy. Like, someone's going to snap him up. And he's delivered, you know, everything so far we've done with him. He's completely delivered. And um, I think that by the end of this sort of season, I suppose, if you like, or, the, you know, this the, these episodes of, of Power, people are going to just be like, okay, Ricky Starks is the real deal. So you've said, obviously, you've seen a preview episode one. The tapes took place, I believe, last weekend? A Monday and Tuesday. Monday and Tuesday. When will NWA Power Hours be on our screens and whereabouts can we watch it? So the, it starts on Tuesday. It's at 6.05 Eastern time, which is the which is a throwback to the 6.05 time uh, that TV used to be on TBS on Saturdays. So it will be in the UK, I guess, 6.05 Eastern would make it 11, 11 o'clock UK time, 11 p.m. And it's going to go everywhere, basically. It's going to be on YouTube, Facebook Live, Fight TV, I think are the three are the three main platforms right now. The idea being that we've been in talks with a couple of different services, a couple of different places for, you know, for, for a broadcasting home. And we, we had a discussion about it and we said, we want as many people as possible to see this, to be able to see it. So that's the best way to do it. And for us, that was what we decided was the right way to, to go about it, was to basically say, we, we want everyone to give this show a chance. Uh, we don't want to put it behind a pay window or a paywall. We don't want to make it like, we, you know, we don't want to have to put it on, on a TV channel that some people may or may not have or, you know, or have to then remember to DVR it. Or if they don't, if they miss it, then they just forget. It's like, no, like it's this. We're in, we're in on demand culture now, like. This, you know, you know, unless you're getting a monster TV deal, like, you know, <laughs> like a billion dollars from Fox, like WWE or whatever, it's like, you know, 
TV is, you know, TV is kind of like, it's not the, it's just not as important as it used to be. And, you know, I, I, um, I just think it's one of those things that wrestling quote unquote experts and, you know, fans who think they know the business like to talk about because they think that that's a necessary sort of sign of success in, in a, in a wrestling company is to have a quote unquote TV deal. But you know, most TV deals are pretty bad. Like TV deals in, in and of themselves are not what you're looking for. You need a good TV deal and a TV deal. I can tell you from, you know, I've, I've seen it happen. Like, TV deals can put a huge amount of pressure on a business and can and can actually end a company before they get a chance to get started. Because if you run before you can walk and you can't and you haven't built your audience, then you've got all these costs and you've got all this and you've got this um, responsibility to keep delivering this show, even if there's you know even if you haven't built up a value to it where someone's going to pay for it, or if you or if you know in the case of some companies, if you've got to get advertising revenue for it, you know if you can't, then it's like. Well, you've kind of the cat's already out the bag. Like you're, you know, you're already committed to spending all this money, and we, we we're not in that position. Like we want, we just want to make a really good show, and everyone, and we want people to see it and go, "This is a cool show." And we want to carve out our audience that way. We don't want to. <laughs> this is a funny thing. There's no competition in wrestling among the boys, or if there are, then those boys are marks, right? Like the competition, the competition that exists is between the front offices of those people paying for it. Because if, you know, like Marty's girls are my best friends, like he's, he's, you know, within the next year, like he's set to, you know, he somewhere, someone's going to write him a big check. He's going to make, you know, he's going to make real money. He's going to make monster money to be a pro wrestler somewhere. And like, I'm super happy for him about it. And he deserves it because he's created market value for himself. But the chances are, it's probably we're probably not all going to be able to make it in this working for the same place. You know, this is the thing that like fans do, do not get. They go, oh, you should go here. You, I get people, you should you should have gone to AEW because they, they heard that they approached me at the beginning of the year and I it was mis, misrepresented, but I didn't quote unquote turn them down. I just, I didn't want to stop doing the NWA. I was, and, and that was kind of the condition was like, well, if you're going to work for us, like you're going to work just for us and, and not that. And so I just said, okay, well, not right now then. But, you know, I, I said, well, you should go to AEW or you should go to WWE, you should go to NXT. I was with Marty, or Marty should go join all his friends in AEW. They don't understand that, like, <laughs> there is only a certain amount of top spots available to anyone. You know, like, so if you're good enough and you are ambitious enough or you want to be the top, you know, you want to be the, the head honcho, the top banana in a company, and you want to have a say in how that company is run. And you, you're, you've got to that point where like Marty, like myself, like, you know, those guys who have been, you know, put in, you know, over a decade in the business or me and Marty have been in the business 15 years apiece. Like, you know, when we want, you want to help shape the whole brand and the whole company, I think. <laughs> You can't all do it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everyone like, you know, so so you have to go do it in different companies. We're not at war with each other. Like, if anything, we're going like, oh, that's cool, man. Like, yeah, you should, yeah, no, that'd be great. And like, you know, and then hopefully maybe we can work together somewhere and do this and do that. You know, like it's just it's this like any wrestlers who think that other wrestlers are somehow like in competition with them or throwing shade at them because they decided to go work for another company are so far up their own ass. It's ridiculous. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Like, if anything, the guys you're in, by the way, 
the guys you're in competition with are the guys who work for the same, who, who are taking their, getting their money from the same person you're getting your money from. That's who your competition is. If you're a performer, like the competition as as far as like shows being head to head on TV and stuff, that's between the offices. That's not the talent. So. Any, anyway, I've sort of gone off topic a bit, but no, please uh, fight away. We don't, you know, <laughs> we're not under any illusion. We're not suggesting that like we're going to come right out of the gate and you know be sort of competition or comparable to you know to WWE. You know, like it's just it's just this again. It's this this thing that that ex- like that happens where everyone just kind of people just have no idea of the economics involved in putting a show like this together or any kind of serious level wrestling company, especially when you're talking about WWE, which is like a legacy business, a three generation legacy business with, you know, huge, huge resources. They're, you know, they're trading on the stock exchange at around 80 bucks a share. I mean, you're not, you know what I mean? This is not, this is not the same, no, no other wrestling company is even in the same stratosphere. You know, and like this idea that, you know, every company that starts has to immediately be competition to WWE. It's like I've already I've lived that with TNA. It's like if you get sucked into that, like you're going to burn out and die because you just it's you know, it's it's like it's like it's like starting a, you know, me and Dave Lugano always talk about it like in and out burger. Like people we want to eventually be like an in and out burger or a Shake Shack or something like that, where it's like people people kind of really get excited about it when they get a chance to have it because they don't get to have it all the time. But we're not McDonald's. We're not in every corner of every country on the globe. But it doesn't mean that we can't be a really popular, successful business and make a boatload of money doing it, hopefully. It's just, you know, world domination is not on everybody's agenda, you know, right from the beginning. It's it, There's plenty to go around and... and you know that there's a there's a way to to be in the market, and we think that we believe that we're we're going to get back people that have left who aren't watching wrestling. Period. So if anything, we're actually not competition to anyone because w- what we're doing is actually just providing a product for people that stopped watching wrestling based on the kind of wrestling that's been that's been out there for the last decade or so. That's okay then. So that's NWA's Power Hour available Tuesday, October eighth. That's 6.05 Eastern, that's 11.05 UK time, available on YouTube, Facebook and Fight TV. So you talked just there, obviously, a wee bit about AEW and people saying, oh, why didn't you go, why didn't you go? And you mentioned you didn't want to stop the NWA and being NWA champion. What's your contract situation with NWA? Is it just a case of you're an independent wrestler who represents NWA or has it changed with the new TV show coming out? It didn't change with the TV show. I was already, I, I have an agreement with Lightning One who are the, you know, the parent company of, of the NWA. So, you know, it's, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I get a salary and, you know, because I don't think it's any secret at this point that, you know, obviously, not that I have any say in in decisions as far as sort of that side of things is concerned, but you know I wear a lot of hats as far as how the you know as far as like helping shape this company and this brand, you know, and um, you know it's not a conflict of interest. It's it's it, in fact it's 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 kind of the opposite because I have a, a vested interest in the business being you know doing well and growing and succeeding. So that agreement has been in place like since around all in. You know, like we made an actual agreement. Yeah, I've been working with that ever since. Okay. And uh, obviously you mentioned you were in TNA, you were in Global Force. How did you first get involved in, with NWA? Because my first, obviously, re-exposure, if you will, I've, I've always known of NWA, but they started doing the £10 a gold series 
with Tim yeah. Storm, and then obviously one week it was like, oh, the former Magnus Nick Nick Aldis, he's he's on it. How how did you first get brought into that? Was it to do with Billy Corgan coming in? Well, no, I mean I was actually involved from the beginning. Really, I helped kind of shape the idea for Ten Pounds because it was when they contacted me and described their sort of vision for you know, Dave and Billy, the vision they had for what they you know what they thought they could do with that brand in the modern era. I kind of immediately got excited and said, you know, I always thought that we could do more HBO boxing style stuff, you know, UFC countdowns style stuff towards wrestling matches. I, I've always, I've sort of, especially in 2017, when, you know, when, when we had like New Japan was arguably kind of reaching its peak in the US and, you know, and then, um, Obviously, Ring of Honor, NXT, WWE brands, and now you've got AEW, which is, you know, another. They're all kind of catering to the same taste, which is very heavily about a wrestling match, you know, and and kind of, you know, a a small amount dedicated to, you know, the anticipation of said match or drama and, you know, and the characters and the, you know, emotional investment in the match. Like it was more just about like, everyone was just kind of like, Oh, look, well, how can we top the last match by, you know, doing even more crazy stuff to each other and suplexing each other on a head and, you know, doing even more stunts, you know? And I just, again, not there's anything wrong with that. I just, I was like, I just felt like, how is this going to be sustainable? Because like I can turn on my TV or any device any day of the week and see really good wrestling. You know, like I can see a really good match. Like there are so many guys out there who are very capable of having a really good match, like in the technical sense, you know, like there are guys that who can go out there and memorize like a 25 minute match with all these different moves and combinations and, you know, oh, kick out, kick out of 18 finishes. You know, it's cool. Like, fine. Yeah. If, if you like that kind of thing. But I said, I didn't, I don't see why just because there's a lot of that, why we can't have some emotional investment. And I said, we're not going to make any difference in this business. We're not going to make any impact in the market if we just go out and we book a venue and we book a bunch of wrestlers and we put a bunch of matches on and, and, and that's it. Like, we're just, it's, how's it, it's no different than anybody else. If our show isn't a wrestling show, you know, at first, meaning 10 pounds, if our show is literally just <laughs> a series, an actual television show, a series documenting the build and the anticipation to one match, and then all they have to invest in is one match, we're going to have a way better chance. And I showed and I kind of I cited a bunch of examples and sources and different things and, you know, a great deal of our, you know, and that's and that was really the was what we did. And, and then when the, with Tim, it was he just that happened. He's right place, right time. He just happened on this guy and we just found him to be this, you know, really compelling character. And, and people have, <laughs> again, probably not the ones who care what Dave Meltzer thinks about a match. But a lot of other people have really kind of taken to Tim as a as a human being and as a character, you know, because he's he's a believable guy, and I think that we want to, you know, we want to really try to put the believability back in in wrestling a little bit, and you know, that's one of our sort of internal kind of sayings with each other is is, is like believe in believable, because deep down like the audience no matter what they say or how dedicated they're how many reddit forums they post on or anything like that deep down the audience wants to be taken on a ride 
like they want to suspend their disbelief. They want to go into a match not knowing who's going to win, knowing who they want to win, but not knowing for sure who's going to win and what's going to happen. And they want to be satisfied. And I think the best example of all of those things coming together was in terms of our process was Cody and I all in. Like I think we, you know, nobody like get, considering everything that's come off the back of that show, like we were the true main event of that show. And it was because of our proof of concept. You know, Jericho was on that show. Rey Mysterio was on that show. Kenny Omega was on that show. Okada was on that show. But like, if people are honest with themselves, the, the one match and the one moment that they remember more than anything is, is Cody and I. And it's because we, because we, we made the effort. Like we, we made people really give a shit about what they wanted to see. And it wasn't just a big like puff piece. You know, it wasn't just a big sort of pat ourselves on the back fest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And obviously you mentioned All In. That's certainly the biggest stage the NWA title has been on in the recent era, obviously from £10 of gold onwards. What was it like to be part of that event? Because it, it did feel like something special. You know, it came off the back of a, a Dave Meltzer tweet where he said an independent yeah. company couldn't it, sell 10,000 tickets. It, it, the whole thing is just it's a it's such a it's such a great story it's going to go down in history you know like i i truly believe that people are going to talk about that about that event the same way they you know in many ways people are going to refer to it in the in the same, similar ways that they said about wrestlemania one in the sense that like you know not not to say that it's going to obviously necessarily have the same legacy that wrestlemania has and i know that that would be clickbaited and everyone will say oh all this says all in is the same as wrestlemania you know what i mean and that's not what i'm saying but i mean that people will historically kind of look at who were there or who were involved in it will will look at it the same way like because there's a lot of similarities like people said it couldn't be done people said wrestlemania couldn't be done that you know then by the time you got there you could just feel this energy and feel this you know you, you knew that there was going to be this like this was a moment in time. And then on top of that, Cody and I used that as our moment to tell our story and tell this, you know, to, to tell this kind of irresistible force, immovable object reaching this pinnacle point with the guy who's brought the NWA back to a point where people care about it versus the guy whose father was the soul of the NWA in many ways and who not only wants to win it for for that reason but also as a as a crowning moment to show that he went off on his own and could and could do things his way you know and we're both trying to step out of the shadows of our respective sort of lives in the sense of like he's in the shadow of his father and his brother and you know and I've had a career where even though I've accomplished a lot you know to my wife is a bigger star and it's like that's cool like but it's you know there was just so many different nuances to it where on that night in that moment everybody went these two guys both really want it like these two guys like this is a moment you know and and when you that that's what i got into this business to do was to create a moment in time where everybody went holy shit like this is it and we did and you know and I'll, we'll do it again once you've done it once it's like we know what what it takes now it's just, it's unfortunate that given the fact that we were able to do that and you know we showed how well it could be done it's a shame that you know with the right circumstances and the right platform like i could create that again and again i know i can and it's just a shame that certain things happened where you know we weren't able to again like obviously the main thing being those guys then going off and doing their own thing which is obviously great for them like i i love being part of that because it was just so phenomenal for me because it gave me a platform to show who i was now and i was 
you know, I've had, I've always had nothing but admiration and and a friendship with Nick and Matt Jackson and you know all of those guys. And but you know, it was just it's kind of sad when you look at it and you think there's no absolutely no reason why we can't keep doing that. But there kind of is, you know, because because the other yeah. people now involved can't look past their own interests to to go like you know like an example being. You know, Marty and I at the Crockett Cup was a classic. I'm not, you know, patting myself on the back for that. It's, you know, it, it is what it is. Like, and the people who were there, we drew a good house and it was, you know, and the people who were there were absolutely invested. But we could have done that match at Madison Square Garden, you know, because the Madison Square Garden show was like a month before. And instead, Marty was in a three-way that he didn't win. And it's like, yeah. there's no reason why it couldn't happen there, except for the fact that, you know, the other people involved didn't want it and it wasn't anything and it wasn't it was purely because it wasn't their guy you know and it's like mm -hmm. don't you just want to don't you just want to promote the biggest moment you know what i mean don't you just want to promote like the biggest match like and, and so there are frustrations sometimes with those kind of things but i have faith that as things shake out in the next year or so like that's when you're going to start seeing some some more situations that nobody thought was possible. Like nobody thought me and Cody was possible, you know, because they thought, oh well, that can't happen because Cody does. Cody works, but he's under contract to Ring of Honor, and you know, blah blah blah. And then once they realize, like, oh damn, they're actually going to do it. Oh, but now who's going to win? Well, Cody can't win because he he's under contract to Ring of Honor. How's that possible? Yeah, but look at the way that this has been played. There's no way that Cody can't win, and that's how we got because all those other elements created doubt, you know, and. I think what's going to happen is this: all this stuff shakes out. Where you've got AEW over here, and you've got WWE over here, and you know, Ring of Honor are going to try to make another run, and whoever else, things are going to happen where they're going to have to start going. Hmm, we need to give them something that they can't predict, and that they, you know, that feels that that feels bigger than just two of our guys wrestling each other at a pay per view. Like we need to see, like true, true, like inter promotional pay per view matches. Which, by the way happens a lot in like boxing and you know different mm -hmm. things where the it's like they make the fight happen you know because the two different camps understand like hey i have a guy under contract to me who you know who can draw some interest hey you have a guy under contract over there to you who draws a lot of interest and they match up pretty well let's see if we can make a deal where they fight each other and sometimes they make the deal and sometimes they don't but wrestling's the only business where nobody does that like where they everyone goes like, no, nah, these are my wrestlers and they're my toys in my toy chart. You know what I mean? And, and think of all the money that gets left on the table like that. We don't think like that. I don't think like that. You know, Marty doesn't think like that. Cody doesn't think like that. We're a new breed of businessmen. Like we, we you know, I've always said, I've said right from the beginning, go back and listen to my interviews with like Sam Roberts and stuff like that, where I said, I'm looking at the prize fighter approach to pro wrestling. Like, who can I work with that draws the most money? Not just, oh, we need to go sign a bunch of guys and, and lock them up to us. You know, like we need some. Like we need guys who, who we know that we can move forward with. But outside of that, it's like, like no, who's the best matchup? Like who's gonna who's gonna generate the most interest? Like what's gonna what's gonna be a moment? You know, and what's gonna make money for everybody involved, including the boys? Okay, so obviously you mentioned people being under contract certain places does stop certain matches happening. But much like yourself and the NWA locker room, there is a mass amount of talent that are unsigned. Say, obviously you come back to Britain, you're on a show, who, who would you like to face? Who would you like to call out for the UK to step up and give you the biggest match possible? There's a few guys, there's a few guys in, in the UK that I think would be, 
that if it was promoted right with this, you know, with with our style of build and with the right platform, you know, ideally, a, you know, the right venue and the right promotion behind it, and the, and the you know, maybe a pay per view um, situation that I think could be, that I think could do good business. I think, I think Shah Samuels is one. I think Shah would be top of my list, given the right sort of positioning and stuff like that. I think Rampage Brown, Jack Jester, you know, it all it would all require the right build and the and the right framing and stuff, but it could be done. Those three that I just mentioned, it's like there's no worries about whether or not they can deliver. When, once time comes, it's just about can we promote it in the right way. Three, obviously, ICW regulars there and three favourites of the podcast, and we'd all be fully behind you. We'd be there, rain or shine, to see that any of the, those three matches. So you mentioned, obviously, Ring of Honor. You had a wee bit of a run with them to help promote the the all-in match with Cody and the Crockett Cup with Marty, and obviously you promoted the Cody match on £10 of gold as well. Is there any plans to go back to Ring of Honor for a run, or is it minute? It's a case of your NWA for just now. I think that there's a possibility that we could work together again. Again, you know, wrestling media and the wrestling fans create situations that then cause wrestling companies and wrestling personalities to act in a certain way or to, and they put this sort of finality on everything where they went, the NWA and Ring of Honor relationship is over. You know, like they're not doing business together anymore. You know, and it's like, we've just wrapped up business for now. Like yeah. we never had like an agreement in place or any sort of thing like that. It was beneficial to both parties during, you know, for the time that we, because we wanted those two matchups. We knew that the matchups, people, the two matchups people wanted the most were Cody and me and, and Marty and I. Those were the two major matchups. We got those two done. We made the money. And then, you know, after that, we just kind of went, okay, until we, until we all, not just us, not just the NWA, you know, until, us at the NWA and Ring of Honor office have, you know, another matchup that they think, okay, like I know that some people were throwing around like, you know, the, the title versus title, but there's a lot of, you know, that's a much more complicated piece of business to do. But, you know, there were some other, like Matt Taven tried to make his own angle with me. You know, he tried to, he tried to make a challenge like on his podcast and stuff. And it was, you know, and we would have entertained that, you know, maybe, but it's like that Ring of Honor didn't get behind that one. And, some other, you know, there was some other sort of ideas floating around. And I think, we, you know, we just got to a point where we, we had a conversation internally where we said, okay, until there's something else like really staring us in the face that's a huge benefit, like we need to go back to focusing on what our, our next step is, which was to make the studio show and to make power. Because we had been pretty much showcasing ourselves on the Ring of Honor show at that point. And we knew that that was only ever going to last for a certain amount of time. But there's always a chance that we could do something again. And it's like I said before, like wait till six months from now when these shows have been running for a while and, you know, not just the WWE and, you know, AEW, but the other companies are all looking for the next thing that they can start pushing, like the next thing that they need to kind of generate interest because it's going to happen. You know, these things are going to happen where they're going to say, okay, we need a hook. We need like a, we need a major thing. You know, and, and that's where it's going to get really interesting. And hopefully it's going to mean that a lot of boys are going to make some money. Yeah, that is obviously the main thing. So I think obviously the US audience's first exposure to you was in TNA. Yeah. You arrived, you were teaming with Doug Williams and the British Invasion. Just 
obviously Doug Williams is a legend among British wrestling. What was it like being brought in with him, and what was it like working with him? No, oh, he gave me everything. It was a it was a kind of full circle moment because Doug had had a hand in my very very early early days as well. He had come to help train me at drop kicks a few times, and then had been the one who spoke up up with a couple of promoters and said, "Hey, there's this kid. You know, he, he's got a good look and he's a good athlete. He's very green, but he you know he needs some he needs some reps. He needs some shows to get better." And he even wrestled me. You know, he even said, "I'll you know you can put him in there with me." Like and I'll help get in there. So for to inadvertently be the the kind of the catalyst to help get him a full time gig for those years was very very cool feeling for me because I knew you know he deserved it. But it's like because I'd had the exposure on TV for Gladiators and because they had plans to sort of they thought they could make me into a, a marquee star from the UK, which they needed at that time for their UK market, which worked by the way, like which doesn't get talked about a lot, but. The first time I main evented an episode of Impact, like the ratings in the UK went up by 50%. You know, so like I had it, I, you know, it, it worked, but I would never have got there had it not been for the tag team and Doug being able to basically carry the load while I learned how to work TV and learned how to, you know, le got better at this and I got better quickly. Yeah, obviously, something that doesn't get talked about is TNAs. Obviously, they reached for the UK market a lot more than WWE did. WWE tends to, because it's such a big company, when it comes to the UK, they know they'll sell out. Whereas TNA, I went to a few of their house shows when they came to the UK, they always made it feel special. Yeah, I think that with Jeremy Borash really had a lot to do with that because he was, he just really became enamored with the British culture. Like he really fell in love with British TV and, you know, he went over a lot and spent a lot of time there. And, and I think that he really started to understand why the product at that time was resonating well with the UK audience. It was obviously the visibility. We had a good TV spot, but it was also the fact that, you know, British audience is different to an American audience. They want, you know, there are certain sensibilities that appeal in a slightly different way, you know, and we have different senses of humor, a different culture and stuff. So it's like, I think that he understood that and we were able to sort of, uh, I don't know. And we had, we had a lot of guys back then too with Q value. You know, we had like Kurt Angle and Mick Foley and Sting and, you know, Kevin Nash, Scott Steiner, Booker T. And, you know, to the UK audience that mattered. They did. It wasn't like the American audience where they were kind of like, oh, next, you know, we want something different. Like the UK audience were like, cool, you know, like these guys are stars, you know, we like these guys. And then they came for those guys and they stayed for AJ Styles, Samoa Joe and, you know, the X Division and Beer Money and everybody else. It was like... And so, you know, I had an opportunity to go to developmental in like 2010 and that's why I didn't go because I looked at what was happening and said, <laughs> I stay here in TNA, I get to learn from Sting, Kurt Angle, Booker T, Scott Steiner, you know, Kevin Nash, like who taught me a bunch. And then I get to work in the ring with Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Doug Williams, Christopher Daniels, you know, just just like on and on. Like everybody there was a, a super, super talent. And I said, I think I'm going to learn more doing this than I am, you know, wrestling other guys in their early 20s with my level of experience, you know, on a developmental show. But who knows? It's like that was my decision as a professional because I thought that I'll get better if I stay here. You know, and, and that's what I decided to do. But like, it was, 
<laughs> that company, like people love to people. It's sort of like a, it's a real people love to kind of you know dump on TNA a lot, yeah, or at least that TNA. Like I know that I know that it technically still exists, you know, now, but it's I just I just it's it's not. Let's face it, it's not the same. But you know th that show we were we were the number one show on Spike. We were doing averaging like between one and a half and two million viewers on cable. We were on TV in over a hundred countries. We were the highest rated wrestling show in the UK for a while. We were, we had a killer TV deal in India. Like we did a lot, you know, for a company that, that, you know, at the time I joined had been around for like seven years. Like that's a pretty major trajectory for such a short, you know, for a startup. And this was not, even though Dixie bought in later, this was not a billionaire like funding and starting a promotion from, from day one with a television deal. You know, this was a startup company. Yes, later on it got some funding, but it still wasn't the same thing. Like they earned their television deal. And by the way, they got a rights fee for their television. You know, they were like, they got paid for their TV. Like they were, it wasn't, you know, none of that, none of this stuff was like, you know, every single bit of it came you know, because they earned it. Yeah, did they make some mistakes? Of course, yeah, like there was some major, you know, there, there was some major head scratching moments. I was there, but it's like, it was like, it was still a, a hell of a place to be for a while. And for a young kid like me, when I, you know, I, I got signed there when I was 21, like it was a hell of a place to, to work for, you know, for a number of years and learn. And, and you know, really that set up my, it was like a six year launch pad for my career because by the time I left there, I was just like in my, mid to late 20s so like really just starting to peak and i'd already had all this experience so kind of set me up for where i am now you said you had an offer for developmental in 2010 obviously it wasn't the development we know now it wasn't performance center yeah. do you think if had the offer maybe came around about 2013 you maybe would have maybe, head turn? maybe yeah yeah because i think that i when i when i heard about i remember hearing about the concept for the performance center and thinking like man i would love to i would have loved to go, be involved with something like that you know because i think the thing with british wrestlers is that like so many british wrestlers they learn on the job because with the camps and stuff like that you have like this ability to wrestle a lot so actually the one thing that maybe a lot of british wrestlers don't actually get to do as much is kind of really work on their technique and actually be taught like technical stuff like a lot of british even though british wrestlers are kind of considered like oh they're technically sound and european style and yada yada like actually a lot of british wrestlers are really good at entertaining because they came from the camps and perhaps needed a bit more honing of the technical stuff simply because if you're like me or like bram we were both 18 but we had good physiques and were tall and stuff so brian booked us full-time like right away so like we were sort of learning on the job you know so i think um no, we. I remember hearing about the PC and just being like, "God, what I would have given to, you know, to have been at something like that, so I could have." Because I'm an athlete, you know, deep down, like I approach it like an athlete, and I need that like coaching and you know, and enjoy sort of looking at it in that respect. Like now, now I'm 32. It's like wrestling is, you know, working in the ring is sort of second nature to me. But back then, yeah, like having the actual, like the facilities to, you know, to just be coached on, you know, the, the technique stuff would have been, yeah, I would have jumped at it. Okay. And obviously you mentioned how much you learned, obviously, because you remained in TNA from the likes of Kevin Ash and that. What was it like? Obviously, we mentioned teaming with Doug Williams. You then teamed with Sting, Samojo and Kurt Angle and the revamped Main Event Mafia. Was yeah. that sort of what you thought, I've made the right call staying here, you know, because you've been put 
it was a main event storyline. It was those guys versus Ace and Eights. Yeah, uh, you know, I remember when when they pitched that, or when I pitched it. I mean, it wasn't like I had any say on it, but like when they when they said this is what we're thinking, I remember being really concerned that like people were gonna were gonna shit on it and be like he's not the right guy for this like this you know he's because i you know the original concept for the main event mafia was that you had to have been a world champion and i was like well i haven't been world champion i've i'm not <laughs> how can i be in the main event mafia i've barely even been in any main events i might have been in like a handful you know what i mean one or two here and there but like i wasn't a main eventer and then when sting you know basically from my understanding of it was that sting was the one who pretty much said if we do the main event mafia again i want to do it differently i want to do it like where there's the the legend with me there's like the sort of there's kurt you know who's the sort of you know arguably the greatest of all time and more active still then there's joe who's the kind of stalwart like tna main event guy he said i want i want like the you know this things kind of way of describing it i want like the current i want the, the you know the past present and future main eventers so he said like that's where you come in he's like i want this to be like the best guys from my era the best guys from kurt's era the best guys from joe's era and the best guys from the next era which is your era you know what i mean and i was like okay i understand and uh you know luckily that i remember thinking when i walked out in vegas the way they set it up I was like if the people don't pop and the people don't respond well to this and i've got and i had one promo and i was like if i don't get them with this promo like i'm dead like this is um you know this is going to be like, it's, it's going to be a disaster and luckily the people came up with it enough and went for it and then i i cut a good promo and then people you know people really people still bring it up to this day like i'll do i'll do a signing or some people like i loved it when you were in the main event mafia with sting and kurt and joe and you know just it was such a fun time for me because it was like i got to really get comfortable i had the same thing when i was in the tag team with joe as well but i got to really get comfortable with the idea of like being over like that was the first time where i was you know didn't have to worry like is anyone here going to know who i am and give a shit like you knew that they were going to react so then you could like that's when you it's hard to explain but that when you once you have that understanding that's when you can really start to find yourself and play around with things because you're not you're not thinking to yourself okay what's my plan b if like if things don't go the way i i thought once you know that you're going to go out and people are going to react to you and in a positive way that's when you can really start to experiment and find yourself so i just you know you look at the difference in performer i was at the start of that by the end of that by the end of that run i was a world champion so if, mm -hmm. you know what I mean like that's that's the example so obviously you have your world title run you then depart from TNA and the next time you win a title is in Global Force mm -hmm. um, like how did you first get involved in Global Force I know obviously Jeff Jarrett with the success of TNA wanted to start up a new promotion how did you first get involved in it well I'd been sort of one of Jeff's guys because when all the dating all the way back to India, really. I mean, obviously, he was aware of me when I first got brought into TNA, but he, he, I was not, I was not his guy when I first came in. Like I was, you know, good for the UK market and became a sort of pet project of Dixie's. But pretty soon, I think he started to realize that I wasn't just some guy looking to get famous. Like I was, I was a student of the game and I wanted to I wanted to be good at this and I think for a while there was this misconception that I was trying to just use wrestling to get rich and famous when actually I was using I was actually using my genuine celebrity status in Gladiators which was much bigger than much bigger than my status as a wrestler 
like at that during that time when it was on TV, like in the UK, I was actually using that to to help my wrestling career. You know, like and once they realized that, they went, "Oh, he really wants to be in the." You know, he. They, I don't think they even realized that I was a full time wrestler before I did Gladiators. You know, but <laughs> once Jeff understood that I was, you know, I was for lack of a better term, I was like all in on on pro wrestling. Like he started to realize that he had a a real sort of project that he could sort of work on from scratch and then so then when the india when rinka king came up in 2011 he basically asked them he's like give me that guy you know i want to take him and i want to you know really build a lot of build the promotion around him and he told me like i'm going to build this promotion around you because i want to show them that that what i want to show them meaning the tna office like and the creative because he was you know obviously he still had influence but it wasn't you know it really wasn't his company anymore and but he was still involved but he was he was like i want to show them what they have with you i want to show them that you know they need to focus on cultivating the, you know, the new homegrown stars and ever since that like we just you know it was we just we developed a bond and I mean, as soon as I, as soon as he got wind that I wasn't going to resign, you know, and I was going to let my contract expire and I was going to explore other options, he just picked up the phone right away and was like, uh, "Let's, you know, work with me on this." And obviously, you mentioned TV deals can obviously hamper a company. The big thing with Global Force, they recorded a lot of tapings, and then we didn't hear anything from them for a while. Do you think the sort of mindset of trying to get it on TV instead of going with what like NW Power is doing on YouTube and Facebook is what kind of crippled the company? Uh, yeah, I don't really, I, I honestly, I don't really know what what his plans were with that. I know that we had a, I know there was a period where there was a really, really good chance that we could get some UK TV and for some reason it was like... I don't know whether he just overplayed his hand or whether he just he didn't want to have UK TV before he had US TV, but it kind of but 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 he, he let it slip through his fingers, and I think that just I, you know I love Jeff. He was a different guy then. Like he's obviously he's had a he's had he had a, he's had a real you know reflective couple of years where he you know where he really he had to get close to rock bottom before he could understand what he needed to do to turn his life around and he's done that and obviously i i'd like to think that i helped play a little bit of a part in that by having him involved in my in my walkout at all in and just kind of and you know hooking him up with dave and billy to to work on nwa 70 our first pay-per-view that was at the fairgrounds in nashville and you know that and obviously he was then recognized you know and 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 he was able to sort of turn himself around and redeem himself a bit and now he's now he's got a very good executive position at WWE so like that's you know and that's and I'm I'm glad about that but um the the thing with global force was I I just don't think his heart was in it I think that mm-hmm. I think truthfully it was he just it was always about just kind of sticking it to Dixie and TNA like he wanted to I think he he wanted to get back. He wanted to get control back of TNA, or at least be, or at least be, you know, be on equal footing, and kind of felt like he deserved that. And they just never did. And I I always felt like Global Force was just a sort of was just a way to try to leverage that, or you know, to do. And I just never felt like his heart was really in it as far as sort of building a, a business up from scratch. I think it was just kind of like, hey, let's do these tapings because those those first tapings were great. They looked really good. It's a shame that. You know, they quote unquote accidentally got deleted by uh, Anthem or whatever the hell happened with that. But like, when you look at that l- roster of guys like who was on those shows, I mean, that first show we drew about three thousand people, and it was like it was at the Orleans in Vegas. It looked great, and I mean, 
like who was on that show gallows and anderson were on that show and bobby Roode was on that show i was on that show pj black was on that show ggp gosh there was a you know it was a it was a, it was a good good little good roster of guys that, you know a lot of them ended up in wwe or new japan or you know at all sorts of places so yeah pretty interesting and um but yeah they i just i just think that he he never really had any serious plans to sort of get it get it off the ground as far as like a viable business i always thought it was just a sort of big roll of the dice to try to get get something else going but i don't know it's a shame obviously as you said uh but thankfully is in a better place now you returned to tna obviously as global force champion was that a wee obviously you mentioned jeff wanting to build the company around you was that a wee bit frustrating having to go back to tna to fulfill contractual obligations when the two companies merged it wasn't contractual obligations. I had no obligation to go at all. It was payday. It was. It was. I only did it for Jeff. I would never have gone back had it not been. If it had it not been for the fact that Jeff basically called me and asked me if I would do it, you know, and said like, because I, you know, because I thought like it was his chance to get back in, and you know, little did we know who Anthem would turn out to be as far as their dealings with people, and you know, you can see on the the sort of laundry list of people they've left in their in their wake, you know, like that they're just very very you should be very worried about doing business with them but um i only went back you know uh, for jeff and and it was a chance to work with alberto you know truth like for, for me it was i one of the reasons i left was because or i chose not to resign was because I, I i just felt like i could see all the guys leaving and i was like well part of the reason i say was having these great people to work with and you know they're not going to be around as much and it's not going to help my development and you know and obviously it was the money like you know they'd lost the spike deal then they'd lost the destination america like they, i think they were on like pop tv then or something and it was like you know i was just like well this is the downward you know this is the downslope of this company's trajectory which is like and no, no not there's anything wrong with that for anyone new coming in but it's just like for someone who's been there when they've been at their peak it's like you just, it just doesn't feel the same so you just better off to just move on but for me it was like it was a great payday for a couple of days work and uh, a chance to work with alberto who i always admired and thought was a, a good performer well that is obviously good that there was some positives with that before we move on to a wee quick fire round that we always end our interviews with i need to ask you we've referenced it throughout the, the interview gladiators you were oblivion and the revamped gladiators for i believe it was sky one mm-hmm. how did that come about like and what was that like getting that level of celebrity at such a such a young age? So it came about because I had done a very I'd done a little acting part when I was wrestling full time on the Butlins camps. This thing had come through to like one of the casting things that some that the UK Pitbulls were signed up for, and they sent it to me because they said, "Oh, this casting brief wants a tall, like muscular guy, but not." And it says, "In <laughs> they'd never be able to get away with this today with all the with the friggin." recreational outrage culture but the casting brief said tall big and then in brackets not fat um <laughs> wrestler type so like so dave and mike sent it to me and were like well that counts us out <laughs> you know so um so i put my i put in for it and got it and it was it was like this little live it was this thing called the thunderdome games it was this motorcycle show like at the nec in birmingham during bike like they do some like big motorbike festival there every every year or something and it was just like this stunt show like a mad max type stunt show and basically they just wanted someone to sort of play a character and kind of host it like and they said oh you know we thought it'd be a good suit a wrestler because wrestlers know how to g up a crowd and improvise and stuff and i was like sure great did it easy you know 
better payday than than wrestling for two weeks on the camp so i took two weeks off from brian and went and did that and uh the director at the end of it gave me his card and said hey i have an agency you know he's like i mostly deal with like stuntmen and and circ performers and stuff he's like but every now and then stuff comes in for somebody like you so he's like if you want you know i can put you on the books and you know just in case and i said yeah great didn't hear anything from him for like six months, never thought anything of it again. And then um, I got a call from him. Ironically, I was actually at the hospital. I got hurt on a, <laughs> I, went, I, was, I, was, I was at A&E. I got, I, I can't remember what happened. I hurt myself doing something though in a match. And I ended up with a huge, I, I went because I had this huge hematoma. So it was at, I was actually at A&E at like in the middle of the night, you know, on the way back from a show somewhere. And he called me and was like, hey, uh, do you know how to swim? And I was like, Yes, Carl. I was actually in the national championships when I was in high school. Like, and he's like, "Oh, good." He's like, "Are you afraid of heights?" And I was like, "No." Like, what's going on? And he's like, "Oh, they're bringing gladiators back. I got you an audition." And I was just like, <laughs> "Oh, wow, okay." But <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I went to the Tom. Tom went to those auditions. Who else was there? Uh, dancing, a good good buddy of mine who'd been on that. He'd been. He was on the. He was on the second. He ended up getting on the second season. So did he was Warrior on the second season, and so was Mason Ryan. He was there. He he ended up coming in on the second season. So yeah, like they they obviously understood the value of wrestlers and being able to talk and being able to you know and being durable and you know size and all that kind of thing. So yeah, and and I was I I got I got the gig. Brilliant. And obviously we're almost. 10 years removed from that do you think now with the experience you've got that Oblivion could take down Wolf and become the leader of the pack oh now forget it like I always think back sometimes and think god if only if only that if only I'd got that gig when I was you know 30 instead of 21 you know like I just think god I would have like I would have I mean I I I will say this I think that I took advantage of it as much as I could like oh, I, I made sure I did every appearance I could I did every you know every piece of media I could and, and used it to, you know, and I used it right away to leverage other stuff. You know, I'm, I'm only saying this because it's true, but I 100% made the most money like out of anyone who did that, you know, off the back of that show. And, in, you know, and, and that wasn't really, that was, I think that was just because unlike wrestling where you sort of where you know, cause I have a passion for wrestling and, you know, understood that there's times where you got to do the starving artist thing when it came to that, as cool as it was to be on TV and to be a genuine celebrity. And, and to answer your question before it was nuts. Like they, they released all of that press and everything. All of those, all of the advertising materials all went out in one day. I remember vividly just like literally one day, like being it normal. And then the next day people just recognizing me everywhere I went. Like it was <laughs> really strange, you know, especially during that first, during that first couple of months, because that's when the advertising was heavier. So actually I got recognized more before the show even went on the air because it was just <laughs> from all the advertising. Just because, you know, yeah. our faces were just like everywhere and we were in like every newspaper and magazine and TV show and, you know, radio and stuff. And it was just like we we're on bus stops and billboards and stuff. And it was just like that's the bit I remember being the craziest was like before the show had even gone on the air was like people were like, you're like Gladiator, you know what I mean? And I was just like, yep, <laughs> they haven't even seen the show yet. You know? But um, I always just took that show and just as much as fun as it was and as much fun as I had doing it. I never took it. I never thought like, oh, this is my this is my ticket. You know what I mean? This is my jam. Like this is my gig now. Like I always thought like this won't last that long. I better get everything I can out of it. Well, you certainly did get everything you can out of it. Obviously, looking at what you've achieved now. So just before we wrap up, just a wee bit of quick fire, just to finish us off as we do with all our interviews. You game for that? Yeah. So quick fire, Rock or Austin? Rock. Hogan or Savage? Savage. Brett or Sean? Brett. 
those are so, they're just such impossible like i know it's supposed to be rapid fire but like I, oh they, no no don't worry they're, they're we, so we like <laughs> they're, they're, every single one of those is like okay 51 49 yeah we do this every time it ends up the longest part of the interview is always a quick fire because people are like oh don't make me choose don't make me choose yeah, yeah, yeah. it's usually harder for people when we ask them the likes of rock in austin than it is for when we ask them about their friends later on because they'll have a chance to have a go at their pals right I, you know the thing that like i just i just kind of i tried to answer those questions based on the what the fan in me did you know what i mean and and yeah because, because like, I know that Steve Austin and Hogan are the biggest box office draws in the history of the business. And I know that Sean is the greatest of all time. But as a kid, I was, you know, Bret Hart was my favorite. Like, Rock was my favorite. You know, and I liked Savage. As a little kid, I really liked Savage more than, than Hulk. You know, so it's like, that's, that's kind of... I try to always answer things based on the fan in me because I think that we could all stand to do that a bit more. Like, is to remember what, mm-hmm. we, what we looked at when we were just fans before we were all experts you know well, i was the fan in me on friday night when the rock returned was rather vocal especially when it's 1am uk time and there's people trying to sleep in the house <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, yeah that's so so bringing it back to nwa ricky martin or robert gibson uh, it's got to be ricky man like as uh, you know look hoots the man like they're, and they're 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 perfect together but you know ricky just ricky just has that little bit of extra something and there's like a little bit of a better promo ps4 or xbox i don't know <laughs> I haven't played. I haven't played video games since N sixty four. There you go. N sixty four is the answer. Um, night in or night out? Uh, night in. Favorite cheat meal? <sighs> oh, now you're asking. I do love a good a pizza or a kebab. Kebab. I can't get, see, you can get you can get kebabs over here, but they call them euros or gyros. No one seems to know what the thing is. If someone was. <laughs> yeah. They were, they were like, oh, is it Euro? Is it Gyro? And I was like, no, you're both wrong. It's Doner Kebab. Yeah. But, uh, it's, it's still not, it's not quite the same. Like yeah, when I go, every time I go back, every time I go home, man, oh God, it's, there's nothing. But you've got to be, you've, you've, but you've got to be drunk or you've got to at least have had like a couple of drinks. Yeah. It's either you need to be drunk or you need to have had nothing all day. You can't just yeah. have a kebab in between. Yeah. No, no, you don't. Yeah. You don't think like, what should we have for dinner tonight? Like, we'll go get kebabs. Like that doesn't, that's not how it works. But you... But if, yeah, if you're starving, or if you or if you've had a few jars, like nothing like it. Well, you just mentioned a few jars there. What's your choice of paint? Oof, Heineken. Heineken, good choice. What is your favorite film of all time? It could be any one of the of the three, but it's it's the Bourne movies: Bourne Identity, Bourne Supremacy, Bourne Ultimatum. Brilliant. Last film you went to see in the cinema? Uh, oh, well, last one was in cinema. I think it was A Star Is Born. Well, that was um, not the answer I was expecting. I, I don't go a whole lot, but we actually—I think it was that because because that was the first time I'd been to this thing called Cine Bistro, where where you get like the you get the nice dinner and drinks and all that. And it was—I remember thinking, I don't know if I'm going to like this. I don't want to eat in the dark and like try to watch this movie while I'm eating stuff. And I, I was so wrong. It was just the best. I felt like Henry VIII. <laughs> Uh, last TV series you binged? I just got caught up on Blue Bloods. It's my new favorite show. Like it's so, it's such a typical just easy viewing cop show, but yeah, I just like, I never. It's like it's 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 a monster over here. Like it's it's a, I think it's not. I think we're on like season ten now, and it's just like it's it's a massive hit. And it's but it's like it's what it's it's what we call a network drama. So it's like a little bit tame, 
you know like there, there, there's there's no curse words it's always like oh you're full of crap you know like in that kind of, like that's about as yeah. that's about as kind of risque as it gets but it's like i don't know what it is about it but it's just the formula i love cop shows like i just could do i can do cop shows all day and uh i'm just like blue bloods where has this been all my life tom Selleck is the is the police commissioner of new york like take my money like i'm already sold tom Selleck is gonna sit there and give sage advice from behind a big oak desk every episode i'm in i don't need to know what else is going on like i'll i will sit there and watch tom Selleck have words of wisdom like with a glass of scotch i will watch that every day it's one of, i started watching when they were on about season four it's on sky atlantic here so it's one of okay. the big one of the big American shows. Like I, I would like I can I, I can get sucked into like sometimes like USA Network over here will have like Law and Order on like all day long and I like if I'm not yeah. careful like I'll suddenly go oh I've watched three episodes back to back like I need to get on with my day. Yeah. But, uh, but as far as like uh, so I've been I've actually been binge watching that on uh, Hulu or Netflix. But as far as like an actual binge watch show, Goliath on Amazon Prime like I'm about to start this the third season just came out here a couple days ago and like that's I can't wait like I'm gonna put once I once I put Donovan to bed tonight like I'm all in on Goliath and it's great <laughs> favorite venue you've wrestled in <clears throat> Manchester Arena with the MEN I always call it the MEN but I know it's just called Manchester Arena now I don't know why but for, for you know obviously I had I've had some pretty significant moments at Wembley and it's obviously it's you know there's just something for any any English guy to, to be able to walk out in a packed sort of Wembley arena is just always going to feel special because it's Wembley. But I don't know why, but when things when when TNA was sort of really hot in in the UK, there was something about Manchester for me like they always just they were always so good to me in Manchester. Like that's where I made my return in 2013. Like I had some you know it just for whatever reason they they were just always really good to me. Like there's just something I love that city too. I just I love Manchester and like that arena. Just I don't know what it is. Something about Manchester, I think, is a bit like because it, because London gets all the love, you know, with everything. Yeah. It's like Manchester and Liverpool now, but Manchester, I think, when it came to like wrestling fans, they almost have this thing where they're like, oh yeah, you're all gonna, you know, you're gonna get bent out of shape about London, and you know, you're gonna go on and on about London and London this and London that. We're gonna show you. You know, and it was like the. I always felt the Manchester fans were like that, you know, and they would always sort of just go the extra mile. It was just like electricity in that building every time. And they, they were just always really good to me. I was like, I remember doing, when I came back, you know, for that in 2013, I remember like just getting this. I, I was, I couldn't believe the response I got. And I came back and Hogan looked at me and it was like, because Hogan was there at the time. And like, that was one of the most cool moments of my career was like Hulk looked at me and kind of, just kind of nodded his head like and he just like he was like it was a hell of a reaction but yeah Hulk Hogan just recognized my pop you know what I mean like that was like <laughs> yeah it's certainly up there it's not something every wrestler gets a, a nod off of Hogan for a pop yeah um, well, Hulk is you know Hulk is Hulk was kind of it took a minute to warm up to me you know and I think he's just like that with everyone he's just kind of caging you know because I, I had the same thing with Flair the, 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 the year before that he'd been really good to him by the end of that whole Flair was just like you're also brother and stuff but you know Rick is so sweet like he'll say that you know and, and it's like it's amazing don't get me wrong it's amazing to hear it from Flair but it's like you kind of know that he's like he might be a little more liberal with his compliments you know whereas but like when Hulk finally kind of gave me the time of day and I was like 
becomes a hell of a lot. You know, it's just like, yes! <laughs> what venue is on your bucket list? Madison Square Garden. Of course. I, 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 you know, obviously I know I appeared there at the at the Ring of Honor, at the New Japan at G1 show. I appeared there, but I didn't wrestle there. Like, to, for me, I, I want to... I want to walk out. I want to be the first NWA champion to defend the title at Madison Square Garden since Harley Race. Brilliant. Um, so you can sign a stable, a four-man stable to NWA of any four wrestlers in history. Who do you sign? Any four in history? <laughs> Good Lord. Any- like, ever, is, is this still supposed to be rapid fire? Because I, I need a pen and paper. <laughs> any four in history to the NWA. So, so is, that, is, that, is that four including me or... or four plus me it can be four plus you or four including you it's up to yourself dealer's choice okay so <sighs> here's the thing obviously if you're gonna just you know it's, it's not the same i'm not this is not the, this is not based on like mount rushmore you know like that's the thing everyone wants to do what's your mount rushmore of wrestling right because i could say like oh you know flair rock you know, Shawn Michaels or something, but it's like then they would we you know it, it would be such a waste of all those guys all being in the same stable because they just you know they'd all yeah. because they they all need to shine on their own. So I think if I could be in a stable with a group of guys like for anyone from history, I think I would I would take Kurt Hennig, Bobby the Brain Heenan, <laughs> Trish Stratus. You got to have like you got to have a hot chick, and you've got to have like you know she she just had that when when Trish was at her was at her best like uh, she just had that extra something you know mm-hmm. and then a monster like an enforcer flair heenan trish like i'm obviously this you know this is my fantasy booking booking me as like the main guy <laughs> <laughs> i would say maybe nikita koloff nice like like you know just for that like that enforcer sort of brute force you know kind of like straight yeah. guy he doesn't get anywhere near enough love by the way well, he was the perfect heel. Nikita Koloff was the was a beast, man. He was so great. Like, I don't know if Goldberg watched any of his stuff or was you know advised to or anything, but like he was Goldberg before Goldberg. Mm-hmm. When when he turned babyface, I think honestly, the, you know, it, it's because he did the, the Russian gimmick, and so obviously for a great deal of his career was a heel, and you know he was sort of presented as such. But it's like, man. You got to think how good you got to be and how how over you got to get with an audience to to be to do a Russian gimmick in the eighties and still then become a babyface. Yeah, like unbelievable, man. He just had it. Like he had intensity. Like so, it's, I think so much now. We, like it's like we talked about before. Like so much emphasis and and you know importance is placed on like how well you executed like each spot and each move and oh they flubbed that oh you know they they kind of stumbled a bit before that oh you know oh, botchamania you know like, and it's like it's intensity you know like this that like you you know you just when you're a kid like you didn't care like if, if thing every now and then something kind of stumbled a little bit or whatever it's like, as long as the guy was like intense and just like believed it in his eyes and was just going for it it was like that's what made everybody go like oh cool like the ultimate warrior nikita koloff you know goldberg yeah you know and it's like we the whole business i think we spend a bit too much time worrying about what other wrestlers think and not so much about like what kids think and what you know and that's the different that's why wwe will always be number one that's why wwe will always be the market leader because while we're all trying to fight over the discerning wrestling audience the art house you know the art house wrestling uh, group you know oh, oh they, they they think that my match was simply the best match of the year like who cares like 
<laughs> while you're all while you're all fighting about who had the best match last year or who the best wrestler is, even though it's completely subjective, WWE's out there cultivating the next group of like five year olds, like who are like who are buying like dolls and shirts and armbands and caps and everything else, and who are like compl- who think these guys are superheroes. By the time they're picking apart the performance of their you know of their favorite wrestling and the nuances and everything else, they'll be like, we're, 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 Right, we're moving on. We're getting the next group of kids now. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, second to last question: If you had to retire tomorrow, who would you choose as your dream match last opponent? Ooh, today, <laughs> Brock Lesnar. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Like, I mean, if I had to retire tomorrow, like maybe I, you know, maybe I would want to go out. Maybe not just getting my ass kicked. But, uh, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I think no. I think if I had to go out tomorrow. It would probably be Joe, Samoa Joe. Samoa Joe, it's a, obviously a match we've seen before and a match I'm sure we'd all love to see again. And yeah, I think just it would be, because it would be the significance of it, you know, like one of the primary reasons that I've been able to make a living doing this. If I had to bow out to someone, to or Marty, or Marty. Marty's he deserves, he deserves the win. Yeah. yeah. So obviously you said it's subjective, but in your opinion and yours alone, who is the best of all time? Shawn Michaels. Nobody, you know, I think that will he be remembered as iconically as Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan? You know, no, he won't. And, and will he be as, you know, or Steve Austin, or he won't reach the level of mainstream fame and of The Rock. But if you're a fan of this genre, like there is, there's nobody else who universally is accepted and understood as the best at doing every single part of this. Promos, performing in the ring, charisma, entrance, look, presentation, you know, storytelling, emotion. Like, he, he just was the ultimate pro wrestler when it came to the performance. Certainly hard one to argue there. So, as we wrap up, Nick, just once again for the people listening, where can we find you and where can we find the NWA on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram? Well, I'm on Twitter at Real Nick Aldis, and that's the same handle for my Facebook page. And then uh, Instagram is just at Nick Aldis. You can go to nickoldis.com uh, for you know my book, uh, the Superstar Body, or for um, you know other other information about what I'm up to. And then as far as the NWA goes, NWA Power drops Tuesdays, 6:05 Eastern, so 11:05 UK time. It's it goes live all at once all over the world on YouTube.com/nwa, Facebook.com/nwa, uh, or on Fight TV. And for all of their socials, it's just at NWA. Very easy to find, very easy to follow. And we are at Suplex Retweet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and you can find our massive back catalogue with this wonderful interview with Nick Aldis, also interviews with TJP, Al Snow, the new Progress World Champion, Eddie Dennis, Seth Rollins, The Miz, and a plethora of other interviews. That's on iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, and all good Android podcasting sites. NWA Power Hour starting 8th of October, Tuesday 8th of October, as Nick said, 6.05, 11.05 UK time. That's every Tuesday onwards. Nick, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And we'll see you again. Bye-bye. Stop whatever you're doing right now. You've only got one choice. This is Billy Kirkwood. You know what you should be doing? You should be going online. You should be subscribing. You should be listening to the back catalogue of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Get on it!